We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. everybody welcome to the rotowire fantasy football podcast we're starting this week well chris and i are starting this week mario and john have been doing yeoman's work all off season carrying it but we're now doing five football podcasts a week listen i are going to be every monday doing this it is the la county edition of this uh chris how you doing my man i'm doing well i'm finally glad to be settled and uh able to deal i've been like going all over the place in vegas did that international trip, but I've been like house surfing. But now we got this place for ten days. All right, very good. Uh, looks good. You got uh, some fancy artwork in the background. Yeah. I see. Uh, you know, look, look, living your best life. I like it. Yeah, it's a, it's like a fancy uh, loft in downtown LA. And yeah, there's some serious artwork here. Yeah, there is. So uh, cool. Um, well, okay. This edition of the podcast, there's no news right now, so we're not going to be talking news here. We're going to be talking about what goes into the rankings. What how, kind of how the sausage is made and how what goes behind putting together uh, as you start prepping for a season. So what, first thing I want to ask you is, okay, it is February or whenever you did the first set of rankings for best ball leagues and all that right after the Super Bowl ends, even maybe before the Super Bowl ends. What's the before, first thing you do? Yeah, before the Super Bowl ends. Well, so what I do yeah. is I have um, her build a, a Google Doc with last year's stats and and an empty, you know, an empty fields for all of this year's stats. So I just see what everyone did last year. So I'm I'm looking at last year's stats. Now, obviously, uh, I'm also aware, well, this guy missed four games, or this guy, you know, just is switching teams in the offseason or or whatever, or he's gonna lose his, he's gonna have a different quarterback next year. So I make those adjustments, but I like to just see last year's numbers as a baseline. And a lot of mm -hmm. people use three-year weighted averages in baseball, but um I it's football three years is like that means that's like a 12 year weighted average in baseball. It's, it's way right, too right, long. Right. I mean, three right. years ago, I mean, anything, you know, think about who the running backs were at the top of the board three years ago, Todd Gurley. Oh, we got to use his weighted average. I guess we need uh, the 2017 season priced into his weighted average. Like, no, of course no. not. So he's, he's not, not even, even employed anymore. That's right what now. I mean. Yeah. So yeah. you would get these crazy projections. So I just use one year and then I just sort of make, you know, manual adjustments to that. Yeah. But before, and, and, and here's the thing that the, the interesting thing is, yeah, you have to make projections. Let's talk about that. Why we do projections. We kind of talked about on the Sirius XM show today, and I thought it was a really good topic. And I thought you had a really good explanation for it. You know, our business is providing a set of rankings uh, for people to draft. Well, tell you not even necessarily the set of rankings. It's 
Our business is to tell you how to do well in your fantasy football leagues. Right. Our job is to help you win your league, give you tools to do it. And one of those tools, the most basic tool um, in draft season is a, is a cheat sheet. And mm -hmm. so we need to give you, you know, a list that you can cross off. You can print out and cross it off at your draft. And that's just a fundamental thing that if you don't have time to do all your research, you need. Um, and so, okay, let's, and we used to do this actually, let's just get a list of players. Here's the list. Right. And so, okay, great. You got your list, but you're like, well, I'm in a PPR league. Sorry. I'm not in a, uh, I'm not in one of those half PPR. I'm in a half PPR, but I only have two receivers, not three. Okay. Well, this starts becoming a problem because now I got to make a list for you, a list for you. It's not the same list, right? I mean, Keenan right. Allen is way more valuable in a PPR league than he is in a non PPR league. Um, players like DK Metcalf would be more valuable in non PPR relative to the other receivers. So, so now I need to make a separate list. Now someone gets hurt or somebody news comes out that somebody's getting, you know, more targets. Um, now I've got to change all the lists. I've got 10 different lists for every common league. And now I've got to, you know, I've got to maintain 10 lists simultaneously. Well, that's untenable. So what's the way to solve that? Well, the way to solve that is you just put projected stats in for each player once, and you can change the projections once. And then the algorithm can figure out, you know, the scoring. Well, it's easy to calculate the scoring. PPR, you know, you just do the math, add the point. Half PPR, add half a point. And then you can have these guys ranked automatically with one set of projections rather than 10 different, you know, constantly maintained cheat sheets. And so projections, to me, the only reason to do them is a back-end sort of administrative task that we do, totally how the sausage is made, to give you a cheat sheet that fits your league that'll be good for your draft. That's all. The only reason we do projections, there's no reason to do projections except to inform cheat sheets or even DFS, uh, you know, values or whatever. It's just, it's, it's just basically like it would be better to just have a cheat sheet. It's just that, again, it's impractical to have all the permutations of fantasy football um, accounted for on separate cheat sheets. So we just do one set of projections and let, you know, and let the, uh, the formulas take over. And that's even before you account for auctions. You know, and, and any other, that's just another layer too. By the way, I was remiss in mentioning our podcast is sponsored by the good folks at WinBet. Uh, please, that if you're allowed to bet on sports in your locality, use winbet.com. Uh, we appreciate them. They'll, they'll have more details for us soon, shortly on that, but they do sponsor every one of our podcasts. So we do want to mention them there. So yeah, I mean, that, that the thing though is the, the point here is projections aren't sacrosanct. You know, like the projection says this. Well, it does. And then you start to get into, Okay, what is the player capable of doing? How much is he going to play? Uh, and in football, that's hugely important. Opportunity is such a big aspect of fantasy football. Yeah, so then there's that whole aspect, right? So first of all, we only do projections. At least I only do them because it's a, the most convenient way to power many different permutations of cheat sheet for many different permutations of league. That's the only reason I do them. If there were only one kind of fantasy football league, I would not do them. I would just make a list, an ordered mm -hmm. list. That's it. Okay. Um, but secondly, what are projections, right? Well, I can't project every possible scenario. There's infinite scenarios, or even if we said a hundred scenarios, right? There's his one percentile, his two percentile season, all the way up to his hundredth percentile season. And what those just mean, you know, we don't know what a player is going to do and players have ranges of outcomes. And I, you know, so no, what we pick an arbitrary number, well, it's not entirely arbitrary, but you'll see it kind of is of what percentile of season we imagine for this guy, and that's going to be his projection. We do the 50th percentile. It's the average season he might have. Well, people say, oh, that's, of course, that's what he's worth. He's worth his average season. Is he worth his average season in the 15th round? Are you looking for the guy's average season? Right. Are you looking for, well, 
let's say he does win that job, even though there's only a 20% chance that he gets it. And if he does, it's Trey Lance, right, for week one. And if he does, where, you know, where should you draft him? Well, we're not looking at his 50th percentile projection, which includes all those possible seasons where he doesn't play till week 11, right, um, or ever, all year. Garoppolo plays well. The Niners have a good record. They keep him all year. We're looking at, let's say there's a 20% chance he starts week one, a 50% chance he starts by week seven. Um, we're looking at if things go right for Trey Lance, um, where should you draft him? And then, okay, now we have to discount him for the fact that things might not go right, but there's a lot of weight being put on the things go right numbers. Yeah. Um, why? Because you don't have to draft him till like the 12th or 15th round or wherever it is. And because of that, the opportunity cost is low if he busts. You just drop him. It's no big deal. So these 50th percentile projections are totally wrong. For guys in the 15th round, you want a 90th, an 85th percentile projection, whatever, make up the number. For the first round, you might want a 30th percentile projection. You want to, you might want to say, if things don't go right for this guy, if the team isn't as good as we expect, if he's a little nicked up, who's got the best chance to just return second round value? That may be the criteria in the first round. You know, the, the lower, you know, on the low end, who's the strongest? And as you go deeper into your draft, the low end disappears because the low end is drop, cut. And the high right. end is increasingly what matters. So you have people uh, devoted to these 50th percentile projections that only apply to like round three. Maybe that's the ideal number, round three or whatever. You know, I think uh, I'm looking at our draft from the Vegas League, and I got Justin Jefferson at 3.4. A 50th percentile projection does not get you Justin Jefferson. You know, it's you know, and that that's the whole point. You're trying to find the guy that get has the plausible upside, and that's the thing. No, Jefferson's 50th percentile goes in the second round, or, or no, 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 last year's 50th. Oh, percentile. last year's you never get him. Yeah, no way. Yeah, and and just saying, but the whole point is, we're trying to tell you to get him. It's more important that our projection tells you to get this guy than it was to be completely accurate, and that's what's like like the the kind of the misleading part about these projection contests. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, right, if. If I'm, let's say I told you, I did not tell you to get Justin Jefferson. I even made the worst prediction. You told prediction you to get Van Jefferson, yes. I, and I even <laughs> made the worst prediction of all time, not just in fantasy, but in the history of humanity in any topic. And I talked about this on the Real Man Woodpot. I said that Van Jefferson will outproduce Justin Jefferson. That wasn't the bold prediction category, but it was very wrong. But yeah, I mean, it's if somebody had Jefferson as the, 35th receiver say on their board last year and he was like the 60th or 50 something uh, on average then if you went by that person's rankings you would have got him in every single one of your leagues now the question does arise like well you know i have 35th his adp is 54 where do i actually have to draft him i don't need to draft him 35th maybe if i'm willing to go to the 40th receiver or whatever and that's fine but yeah i try to fudge my projections so that i push up the guys who i think you should draft at the point where I think you should draft them. And, and I do that, and I know I would lose terribly some sort of projections contest because the, the stats guys, the very strict, by the numbers, 50th percentile projection stats guys, do a good job of, of setting an over-under. But again, uh, over-unders, and this is why I, I, I hate this, when someone says, oh, you like this, you have this guy right to have this guy, 50 bucks, let's do, you know, who finishes higher. Right. And I might be like, no, I think your guy will finish higher. And they're like, well, then why do you have your guy ahead of him? Because my guy has a chance to be a top 10 receiver and your guy has no chance to be a top 10 receiver or a top 20 or whatever the number may be. So the idea that, you know, you know, 50-50, that's not what fantasy football is about. In the eighth round, 
having a guy more likely to do better than the other eighth round pick isn't the win. The win is having the guy who's 10% likely to be a second round pick. And if he does hit, uh, then you've now got a huge leg up on winning your league. That's right. That's right. Um, before we go any further, I want to insert a quick note from our sponsors on Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And that was a quick note. Yeah, if you're watching us live, you didn't have to listen to that one. Incredibly quick. Yes. Uh, job, so. Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. And you'll get, you have to do these as well. Uh, so when you're, whenever you're hosting, but uh, at any rate, um, I want to keep talking about this a little bit more about, about the whole process too, because I think the process is important in the idea, you know, you want to try to find the high variance guys. You want to try to find the rookies, but it's not just rookies too. It's also injured guys. It's job battle guys. Those are the other guys that, you know, aren't, you're not, not necessarily going to have that 50th percentile projection. You have to make a call. Yeah. I, the easiest example is let's say there was a team like the Chiefs. They have a kicker that's good. But let's say you had two guys who each had a 50% chance of winning the job. Mm -hmm. But you projected them and you gave them like half the Chiefs total. So let's say the kicker scores 150 for the Chiefs. Each guy gets 75 points um, and your projections. So they're 50-50. And then you have the guy on the Texans who's projected for 100 points who's definitely the kicker. And in a projection system, you would have the Texans kicker ranked ahead of both Chiefs contenders. That's ridiculous because uh, it, you would be way smarter to draft the chief, either of the Chiefs kickers, obviously projected for less than the 50th percentile because 50% is they don't even play, they don't even make the team. Um, 
And then if he makes it, great. You've got a top five kicker. And if he doesn't, you cut him and pick up some guy who's definitely better than the Texans kicker and who's definitely available on waivers. So that's a very simple example of how 50th percentile projections will fail you um, in terms of getting the best players for your actual fantasy draft. Fantasy draft is not a series of over-unders. And if fantasy football is not that, it's that's not what it is. It's a series of bets based on opportunity cost and based on um, difference makers. And then you have the baseline of the waiver wire as your replacement value. And to the extent uh, which you're above replacement value or projected to be, um, that's the extent of the risk that you need to avoid. So if you're if if you're talking about the first couple of rounds where guys are way above replacement value, then those downside risks, those lower percentiles uh, that are possible, are something to be aware of. When you start to get where your guy is replacement value or below or barely above it, meaning the waiver wire is just as good, and there's literally no opportunity cost had uh, by drafting this guy instead of someone else, you can cut him, take that someone else later. Um, then you're only looking at the very top percentile outcomes. And again, the projections are not subtle enough to convey this. Yeah. I think the ultimate example of that is when you did the Hollyweird League documentary, you got Randy Moss and your league mocked you for that. Uh, but you know, again, if you had just gone out based off a 50th percentile projection, you never would have gotten him, uh, or at least you wouldn't have gotten him where you did. And, you know, it, it, life might be different. You might not be working for Rotowire right now. You may have just soured on fantasy football. If you had kind of bought into the 50th percentile idea. I'm glad you bring that league up. Yeah, that league, I was already doing fantasy football, but that league made me realize oh, I was pretty good at this. I, I mean, I was also very lucky, but it was a 16 team right. league with a bunch of rich, like Hollywood producers, actors, a bunch of people. And, uh, and I had the, I think 15th pick and that was the greatest fantasy football season of my life to this day in 1998. My, my brother had watched uh, college football. He was in Atlanta and he watched a lot of Randy Moss's games. We've got to get this guy Moss. And I was like, he's the third receiver. There's Jake Reed and Chris Carter. Remember, there are no three receiver sets in 1998. Like, right, if you're right, the third right. receiver, you're worthless. And they had a Pro Bowl or, you know, a Hall of Famer in Chris Carter and like a Pro Bowl borderline guy in Jake Reed. And he said, just get him. Uh, I took Fred Taylor in the fifth. And then James Stewart broke his leg in like week three. And Fred Taylor had 17 touchdowns as a rookie, which wasn't very common either. And then Moss had 17 touchdowns as a rookie. And those are my fifth and sixth round picks. And my first two picks were Jamal Anderson the year he had 17 touchdowns. And Marshall Falk the year he went 1,000 and 1,000. I think he was last year on the Colts. Um, and I had like Keyshawn Johnson, Ed Tud. I had everything go my way. Uh, I went all the money. And uh, yeah, for some reason, I was like, oh, I should probably do this as my job. So uh Life-changing. Glory, glory days. You know, it, it's almost like I was prompting you to bring up the straight flush story with that story. With I, that it's almost like the straight. Yeah. Oh, did you? Almost. Have I told this story? Have, yeah. have I told you this? <laughs> Not on this medium this year, but uh, it's all right. Um, did you tell your poker pro that you're interviewed on the baseball podcast uh, about my Royal Flush, Jeff? I did not. I did not. I figure you could have interjected. You can. Yeah. You added I told him, them on so. Twitter. Yeah, I did. I yeah. told them on Twitter. Yeah. So uh, at any rate, uh, you can go ahead and uh, yeah, you, people ask Chris, did he ever get a royal flush before? It, it's a good story. Yes. At a poker um, table, not like, you know, with four wild cards, you know, deuces and jacks are wild. Yeah, you got a royal in flush. In an actual and, casino. And you in a real live actual casino. And then it happened to have a high hand bonus, which is like very rare. We don't usually play with, uh, in places with a high hand bonus. Yeah. So you uh, was it a big pot that you got that? I forget that part. It was like 300 bucks. A guy pushed so, yeah. all in. A guy pushed all into my Royal Flush. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, if that I was beautiful. a real man, which I wasn't because I was just so excited at the time, I would have really looked over my cards a couple of times. You slow rolled, rolled them. Slow yeah. rolled them. Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then been like, I guess I should. And then done. I think it would have. I think he probably would have laughed because 
if I didn't slow roll it for too long, I think he would have laughed because it's just such a it's such a rare situation. Yeah. So the Randy Moss lesson, uh, applying that to this year, would you apply it to Kyle Pitts, the known as the generational prospect at tight end? Well, the thing about Moss is that he he was drafted behind Kevin Dyson because he smoked weed. He's a horrible person. He smoked weed. Yeah. And, of course, he had to slip behind uh, Kevin Dyson. And so, you know, I mean, everyone knew he was talented, but, like, nope. You know, he was, he was And like he went to Marshall. Overall. He didn't go to the SEC. He right. wasn't playing the SEC or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. He was, like, the 18th overall pick. And, and you know, Pitts was the fourth overall pick going behind uh, – quarterbacks right three quarterbacks so like Pitts was the first non-quarterback taken in the entire draft mm -hmm. so as a result he's like the fourth round pick in the nffc i took him in the sixth because he slipped one one draft but yeah i mean i i think there is like you know a, a scenario where Pitts scores like 17 touchdowns yeah I, I don't i mean it's not the likely scenario but it's i see it's plausible to me okay uh so and the thing is i've seen it in drafts in fishbowl i've seen him go early second round uh, now, granted, it's tight end boosted scoring, but he's going ahead uh, in some cases ahead of George Kittle, uh, it, which is eye opening to me. You know, it, it, it's pretty. Uh, but if he really is that special of a tight end prospect, maybe that the lesson is go go aggressively there. Yeah, I mean, er, you know, it's funny because one thing that I've made a mistake of doing it in times is looking at guys like Pitts or DK Metcalf and being like, okay, these guys, they obviously have the most upside of anybody just athletically and talent wise. Mm -hmm. And I'll think like, Oh, I'm going to take them because um, Calvin really doesn't have that much upside. Or let's take someone more vanilla. Like, you know, Alan Robinson doesn't have that much upside, but like they do also have a lot of upside. Like, right. You know, like Alan Robinson could get 14 touchdowns and 1800 yards I'm on like 180 targets and have 130 catches. I mean, it's not like he doesn't have upside. So I think we have to be careful of overvaluing the unknown or the athletic freak and taking guys who are very good athletes who are very solid roles and not thinking, well, yeah, that, well, you know, I'd project Allen Robinson for 100 catches and 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns or something. But like, there's no reason he couldn't be that guy either. And, you know, it, it's like, I remember in baseball, you know, well, Rick Porcello has no upside. He wins the Cy Young. R.A. Dickey yeah, yeah, has no me. upside. Yeah. He wins the Cy Young. Yeah. I mean, that's unlikely. And, and I think it's much more plausible that Allen Robinson would be the wide receiver one than those things that happen. But I think sometimes we um, we narrow people's range of outcomes at our peril. We, we overly narrow guys that we've seen play for a few years and think, okay, there, there's no possible way things could all break his way. But of course they could. Yeah, of course. Um, and so that, that it's an interesting takeaway to see it, uh, talk about that. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, uh, we'll go by position by position. Some of the, the aspects of projections, uh, in a second, but first a note from, uh, one of our sponsors, the sports gambling podcast network is your home for the most entertaining sports gambling content. Sean green and Ryan Kramer host the flagship sports gambling podcast, getting you ready to make money on the NFL where they've picked every game against the spread since 2011. SGPN also has you covered with the college football experience. The college fo football experience has a preview episode dedicated to every one of the 130 college football teams. SGPN also covers fantasy football, MLB, golf, MMA, NHL, NBA, and more. If you can bet on it, they cover it. If the free picks and podcasts weren't enough, they're also giving out a free shot to win $100,000 during NFL week one. That's right. A free roll for a chance to win $100,000 exclusively on their new SGPN app. Download the SGPN app in the App Store or Google Play Store for tons of free picks, 
free podcasts, and free prizes. Remember, SGPN doesn't sell picks. They make them. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Chris Liss. Chris, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about like going down, you know, you're, you're ranking your quarterbacks uh, for fantasy purposes. It, it, we're in an era now where more and more mobile quarterbacks are more common. Uh, is it become easier or harder for you to make, you know, kind of go down ranking the quarterbacks and projecting the quarterbacks? Uh, quarterbacks are pretty easy uh, to rank uh, because they don't catch passes. So that's like a huge variable that you don't have to mm-hmm. worry about. And it's pretty clear who the runners are and who the runners aren't. You know, with running backs, you know, I mean, I, I'm out on Damian Harris because he doesn't catch any passes. But what if they throw to him? You know, there was rumors last right. year that Derrick Henry would catch more passes. Didn't really happen. But you never but really Chris know. Carson did get some passes. So that, that that's the, the turnabout is like, you know, you know, he's like this no upside as a receiver. But he had four touchdown receptions last year. Yeah. I mean, the TD receptions are sometimes a little fluky with running sure. backs. But but point is that with running backs, there's always this question, will he or won't he? And I guess with guys like, you know, Mahomes or, or Rodgers or something, you wonder if they're still going to run. You know, I mean, Mahomes obviously younger, but maybe they, they want to keep him intact. I don't think he'll stop running because it's just part of his game. But the point is, I think it's pretty clear with quarterbacks who runs and who doesn't and how much to, to a large extent. And so I think they're kind of easy to rank because, you know, it, it's it, there's not this sort of like coach-dependent variable, you know, like how many uh, routes the running back's going to run or how many times they're going to dump off to him. Mm-hmm. So I, I find them the easiest position to rank of all. And you just have to, you know, add up the math and figure out, you know, it's, it's yep. really opportunity, efficiency in, in the passing game with opportunity and then, um, and then rushing. Yeah. There's still some variance though. I mean, Lamar Jackson was like prohibitively yeah, as him or Mahomes last year. Now he's sixth. Uh, you but know, that wasn't because of his running. That was because of his passing. Mostly. No, no. But uh, I'm saying that there's still variance in the passing. We, you know, there's variance in what in the in performance there. I don't know. It's just and the other thing we talked about too is you know there was a big value add for quarterbacks last couple of years uh, that made more sense to rank the quarterbacks higher as an overall too, not just uh, among quarterbacks, but higher in the picture. Like you know, it makes more sense to reach on that earlier quarterback than it may have been in previous years. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and we talked about this on XM, but like it used to be like, well, why would I waste a fourth round pick on a quarterback when I can just get, you know, Philip Rivers to get me 230 yards and two touchdowns every week? You know, that's that's fine. You know, so you're getting mm-hmm. 300 yards and three touchdowns and 30 rushing yards, but I'm getting, you know, 80% of what you're getting and you're using a premium pick. I'd rather have a running back or a wide receiver there. But then all of a sudden, you know, Derek Carr, Rivers, or whoever is getting 220 and two. And uh, the guy with Kyler Murray was getting like 200 and two plus uh, 100 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Or, you know, Mahomes is going for 380 and four um, with a rushing touchdown and 40 rushing yards or Josh Allen, you know, whatever. I mean, they were going for so much more than the, you know, Philip Rivers, Derek Carr types. And then as a result, um, you were down, you know, 20 points just at the quarterback spot. And it was just as though you had were missing a running back on your lineup or your running back got hurt in the first quarter. And so then I think people have wised up and said, there's really like two, there's more than two tiers of quarterbacks, but there's two sort of, you know, there's like a haves and have nots when it comes to quarterbacks. The haves are guys who are in prolific offenses, throw a ton and, or can run. And there's the other guys who are just in ordinary offenses and they don't run. And that is just there's a just a cavernous gap between the two, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. Yeah, that's true. That, that is absolutely true. Uh, offensive coordinator changes—that's a big deal, especially when it comes to a quarterback. 
You know, you know what system that they're playing in, who he has to work with, who's coaching it. You know, all this matters a lot. Yeah, it does matter. Uh, I, it matters for distribution of the targets, and it matters for, um, I mean, three things, right? It's how many attempts do you get? You know, for mm-hmm. passing, is it a run pass pace? I guess you start with the pace. Then once you have the number of plays, you talk about the number of run versus pass. And then once you have, you know, run versus pass, you divide, you know, the uh, among the people who are projected to get those targets. And the coordinators and the, the coaches determine that, right? So right. Um, you may have a, a running back that's very good. Uh, and then there's scheme and stuff like that also. But you have, might have a running back that's good and efficient, but they're passing more or vice versa. You may have a quarterback like Russell Wilson who's really good, but they're running more. And, you know, it's even if he's averaging eight yards per passing attempt, which is very good, if he's only getting 515 attempts instead of 550, you know, that's just going to take away from the bottom line. Now, some of this is game dependent, obviously. But, yeah, of course, the uh, the coordinators matter a ton for that stuff. Well, and I'll give you an example, too, like Russell Wilson this year. You know, they fire their offensive coordinator. Uh, Pete Carroll said, we're not running enough. Want to get back to the basics. They, a lot of quarterback, a lot of coaches say that. But Pete Carroll's actually shown in the past a tendency to do that. Was that how how heavily did that weigh on you with his ranking with Wilson? I didn't. I, I just kind of looked at the last couple of years and just averaged it out. I didn't really like, and obviously it's 17 games, so everyone got a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I didn't really take it that seriously. I, I think game flow matters a ton. And a lot of times Russell Wilson gets all his points in the fourth quarter. They run it for three quarters, they're behind, and then he has to do all right. these heroics and he gets, you know, punch deep cat passes to Lockett at Metcalf and he's got his points at the end of the day. You're like, wow, I was going against Russell Wilson. I thought I was set and he killed me in the fourth quarter. It happens all the time and people, reasonably ask why aren't they doing that in the first quarter um but then you know last year russ was going crazy for the first half of the season but the seahawks were losing and he was getting beat up and their offensive line was really bad and i'm not sure why they haven't invested more in it but um so they started running they started winning you know they started uh, and russ was getting hit less so it's not crazy it's just it's frustrating but i still think that game flow determines a lot of that and he's very good and i think sometimes because they don't run early they get behind because it's not as efficient and then Russ has to pull out all these heroics in the fourth quarter, which ends up getting him to where he probably would have been anyway. If they had passed first, gotten the lead, and then run it in the fourth quarter, which is the standard playbook, instead of run first, get behind, and throw a million times in the fourth quarter, it, you end up in the same place. Yeah, I just remember the Cowboys playoff game a couple of years ago where it, it was like third and seven every series, and then he, he tried to pull the heroics out. And I just I remember that vividly there. Um, so that that's one that comes to mind. Sometimes it can be just as much as adding an offensive lineman, adding a new co- O line coach. A lot of ba- the Bengals are kind of investing a lot in that. That the new offensive line coach will make the offensive line better. We'll see about that. I'm a little bit on the skeptical side. Uh, one specific player, a projection. This was the hardest guy to project is Deshaun Watson. I and mean, we don't know well, if he's going to project- play 14 games or none. Yeah, we don't know. And so it's easy to project his rate stats because he's very good um, when he plays and it's hard to project his playing time. But that's kind of easy because it's so it's, it's not binary because you get a four game, eight, eight game or all season. I, I don't think he'll get off scot free. I, I don't I think there's almost zero chance, but it, I, I could easily see settled out of court with all the all the accusers settled out of court. So there's no you know public record of him having done this. These are just, you know complaints they're just they're not this hasn't been um, adjudicated yet and pays them off um they they feel satisfied or maybe they don't but for some reason they never gets into a public um you know hearing 
And then the NFL says, well, we're going to suspend you because this conduct is, you know, bad and embarrasses us and it's in your contract that we can do this. But they say four games because or eight games because they just have to do something to show they're against. Um, and again, these are accusations. There's a lot of them, but I'm not going to weigh in on the validity of them because it's right, right. It's just trial by radio, trial by podcast, trial by Twitter is really bullshit. I mean, you, know, you have to have proper evidence and it's compelling as it looks. Um, you know, you have to investigate all the claims and, and, and all that. So but point is, assuming there's merit to these um, and the NFL obviously is in a better position to look more deeply into them than we are, they're going to suspend him for some amount. Uh, but if there's no public conviction or even, you know, testimony publicly in a court, then if it's sealed and part of the settlement is that, you know, that's it, it's, it's going quiet, um, I think he'll probably play. And, well, you know, again, we're just speculating on what, what would happen. So if there's just a chance, and I'd say, I would, I would say there's like, I'm going to say 50% chance he plays eight or more games, I'm going to say. Now, that's not a very rigorous uh, basis, but let's just say 50% chance. Well, what's that worth? Well, you know, it's going to be the last half of the season, including your fantasy playoffs. He is a top five quarterback. He may be a top two or three quarterback. Um, and the defense is going to be terrible. He's going to be going against shootout central with, you know, Jacksonville not having a great defense and having a rejuvenated quarterback. Tennessee has a bad defense and a very good offense. I mean, this is a situation where he could go crazy. And depending on how big your bench is, I don't think in a, a six bench league, like the one in Vegas, I would have taken him because you, I don't think you can hold him if he's out eight games, but in the NFFC where you have a 10 man bench, um, you know, just, Take him in the 15th round and he'll probably move up to the 14th or something. And then um, take him and you'll get news. You'll know if he's suspended for the year, banned for life or whatever, and it comes out that everything was exactly as, as it was and it's public record, then okay, just drop him. Big deal. But if it comes, but if he only gets eight games, um, then you've got, you know, a fourth round pick in the 15th round. And I think that's a really good bet. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, I, again, league structure matters, as you just alluded, uh, is like, you know, how many spots can you keep? How, I mean, when are you dra- like, are you, if he's one, if you've waited on a quarterback, well, I, I think I'd be more inclined to use him as my backup, uh, you know, as a, as a late round dart than I would say if I had Russell Wilson, because let's face it, I've got a starter for the most part, or, or, or the extreme example, Pat Mahomes, I'm never going to take Watson. And there, because I, if I have to use Watson, that means something really wrong happened. Right. But in the 15th, if well, the 15th, then, I guess everything, right. No. If, if, you know, Mahomes goes down, you're going to be awfully glad that you've got, you know, basically mm-hmm. an equal version um, rather than, you know, going through the, uh, I mean, I had a great team last year. It was a really good team in the NFFC. I had Camara as my first pick. I had DK Metcalf in like the fourth. I mean, it was a really loaded team. And I had Dak in the fifth. So the first five weeks, I was like in the top, you know, 20 or whatever overall. Dak gets hurt. Oh, good thing I have Burrow. You know, I backed him up with Burrow. Well, then Burrow got hurt in yeah. week nine. <laughs> and then I was like going through the dregs of the dregs. And I had I had like Baker Mayfield and Tech Snafu. But like basically like I was trying to get him out for Danny Dimes. But he'd start the snow game, gave me like four points or something. Like, you know, that's if, – if you have Watson there and he's in, you know, you're – could save your season so i i definitely well that's think- one thing i think about with the waiver wire anytime you, there's a guy that emerges looks like he's a difference maker you may not need him get him anyhow yeah. uh I, I think that's really important you know a i mean you don't know what's going to happen to your team b 
that's someone else that's not getting to use them. And, you know, especially if it's a running back or receiver, like, oh, I've got plenty of running backs. Get them anyhow. Lots well, every, everybody though. takes running back receivers on the waiver, but I think the quarterback yeah. is one. Like, I had Dak. Dak had never been hurt. He was playing out of his mind. I had Burrow as my backup. He was playing incredibly well for a rookie. Like, last thing I needed was a quarterback. It didn't even occur to me to, to have a quarterback there. Yeah, that's right. So when Justin Herbert becomes available, when it's Trey Lance going off, someone's dropped him because he didn't play the first two weeks, and then he gets then he and he gets to start later on, goes off. Well, then you, you grab him, or maybe it's Zach Wilson is really good, and you know people doubt no, no. him. Don't even joke about that. Don't. I'm not joking. I'm. I'm it's not a don't joke. Even, don't, don't even. Don't even. Don't talk crazy. It's a surmising. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Sam Darnold. Um, Sam Darnold. Point nine. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we talk a little bit more about uh, other positions, a quick note from Dynasty Owner. Experience the fun of fantasy football and the strategy of running an NFL franchise at DynastyOwner.com. Dynasty Owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football, the skill and strategy of the front office, and the business side of owning an NFL franchise. Build a roster of NFL players using their real-world real world contracts and salaries. Easy for me to say while staying under the salary cap and compete weekly against the other teams in your league as you score points based on the player's real-world performance. Visit DynastyOwner.com today to sign up. Listen to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by WinBet Sports. Jeff Erickson here with Chris Liss. So we're, we're talking about uh, you know quarterbacks, and by the way, Alan Soslowski chimes in, Zach Wilson, GOAT. Uh, yeah, could happen. Probably I forgot won't. that Soslowski was a Jets fan. I was talking to him in Vegas, and he was yeah. like, I was like, you're a Jets fan? Like, he kept that quiet. I mean, understandably, he kept it quiet. Sure. A Andrew Laird is a Jets fan. It's just, I mean, your parents. There's dozens of them. You should be able to sue your parents if you're a Jets fan. <laughs> yeah. I I'm amazed you haven't brought up, like, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm here. Uh, oh, yeah, already. That's right. That's, right. Yeah, that's, I haven't, right. that's one box I haven't checked yet on the uh, bingo board. But, uh, okay. Putting together the uh, running back rankings. I mean, it's such an opportunity-based position. You know, who gets the goal line carries? Who gets the catches? Who, you know, who are the bell cow backs? Yeah. So, sorry, say that again. I was just, uh, I was I'm just saying, saying no, that's all right. It's right. I was just saying it's such an opportunity-based position. I mean, how do you go about it? I mean, it's so much based on like how many get, how many touches you get, who gets the goal line carries, who gets receptions. I mean, what, what to use? How do you, you know, how do you separate these guys sometimes? I mean, running back is mostly who can do the most with the least risk, right? I mean, like that's it's it's just a combination of all that, right? Like like McCaffrey, I think there's some risk because he's undersized for what he does and he's coming off a lot of injuries, but he had 142 targets in 2019 as a running back. I mean, that's like you, you hope your receiver gets 142 targets. And he had 276 carries. So I think he'll get like 220 carries but he's going to get 125, 130 targets. And that's just, it's just the volume is so big. Um, and he's healthy now. And then you have like Dalvin Cook who gets hurt every year, but he had 314 carries in 14 games. That makes me a little nervous, but he gets so many carries, 314 carries in 14 games. It's so much, that's Derrick Henry level. Yeah. And he catches a ton of passes, which Derrick Henry does not. Okay. And then, you know, and then you go down, you know, Zeke Elliott is guaranteed 275, 80 carries if he's healthy and he's healthy now. And he, really hasn't been hurt a lot and probably 50 to 60 catches. I mean, it's just volume. Um, you, you hope that the efficiency is there, not so much because you need 1800 yards instead of 1600, but more because um, efficiency means continued volume. You, I think the efficiency is there to say, Oh no, they're never going away from this guy. 
you know, if Zeke were to have a 3.9 yards per carry last year, you'd be worried that he'd lose. Actually, only had like 4.0 actually. But you could be worried, you know, if a guy wasn't good, that if he were struggled a little bit, that he'd lose the role. Obviously, contract matters. Zeke's got a big contract. And, and Zeke's a good player. I think we know that, although everybody does fade eventually. Um, and so you just, you know, you're just looking at looking out for risk and looking for opportunity and looking out for risk. And I think efficiency is the least important, but it is important as a subset of opportunity. I think good, efficient players get more touches. Yeah, I, I think that's right. So one of the big debating points this year is how many, how many touches is Jonathan Taylor going to get? You know, he's a very efficient back, more efficient than Naeem Hines, yeah, although Hines is such a good route runner. Uh, but there's a lot of talk, well, Marlon Mack is back. But your your ranking doesn't show that fear of that. Well, I think there is downside there. I think there's downside for a lot of these backs. You know, Barkley mm -hmm. obviously is iffy for the start of the season. Henry doesn't catch passes. He's had a ton right. of workload the last couple of years. Um, running backs, you know, tend to accumulate mileage fall off i think henry's pretty safe chubb doesn't catch passes he's got a guy who also gets some goal line carries that takes away from him um everybody's got their thing eckler is in my mind not guaranteed at all to get a lot of carries or goal line carries everybody's got a an issue and so we're dealing now once you get past camara and elliot the top four right uh, and you're at five um i, th I think everybody's got some warts but the reason i like taylor is yes naheem hines could be there on third down yes uh, Mac could split some carries, maybe steal some goal line here and there. But that's the downside. The upside is you're talking about a guy who, you know, by all accounts that I had heard was like Adrian Peterson level talent coming out of college and um, can also catch passes. It probably would get some early down looks, um, you know, like the way Melvin Gordon did when Eckler was there. Melvin Gordon still catch 50, even if Eckler caught 80 or 90. Um, so I kind of think that um, Taylor can do everything, got a ton of work, and was one of the top running backs in fantasy in the last second half of the year with these guys there. And Mac wasn't there, but it's Jordan Wilkins. I don't see a big difference. Hines was there. Wilkins was there. Taylor was still the dominant back in the second half for them. Why would that change? And then third, like let's look at the signal and the noise, right? The signal is dominant prospect back coming out of you know college that everybody knows is like this physical freak. And then has the year he's supposed to in the second half at least, you know, showed that he is that guy. And now he's in year two behind a great offensive line. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the signal is year two stud back behind great offensive line. Um, everybody splits some carries. Maybe he splits a little bit more than most. The signal is get this guy. The noise is, well, this could go wrong. That could go wrong. To me, the bigger thing is this is a stud in the second year where he gets the offense, the pass blocking, everything he needs to know. There are other there are players whose names you know in the backfield. There's players in every backfield. There's other players. You know the names of Hines and Mack. I don't know if knowing their names is a real impediment to uh, to Taylor. Now, I do think that Hines will be in there on third down. And and But, you know, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry plays on third down. They just don't throw it to him. But um, I think those guys are all this this next tier after the top four. So what are you looking for when you get out of the obvious top tier running backs? Let's say out of the first round, out of the second round, you're looking for your running back two. Maybe you're, you're even waiting. Maybe you're not, maybe you've gone uh, with one running back and then a receiver the first two rounds. What type of running back are you trying to, you know, try to get for yourself and encourage others to get? There's three types of running backs that exist there. There's running backs that have opportunities, but not special skills, or at least as far as we can tell. 
There's running backs who have some opportunity and some special skill. And there's running backs that the opportunity is uncertain, but the situation and skill is such that the upside is really high. So I'll give you an example of each kind of back. Okay. So the back of opportunity, but no skill is like, not no skill, but like, you know, Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis. Miles Gaskin actually can catch passes, but I mean, you know, they're not, no one's drafting them because they think they're the next Jonathan Taylor or even Adrian Peterson or something. You know, they're, they're, they're just like, this guy has a job. Okay. Now the risk with those, with that is they may only be very narrow separate separation between them and the guy who they beat out and a sluggish start could just, you know, or even a minor injury, the other guy does better and that's it. Right. Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin. You're not surprised if Salvin Ahmed takes over for Gaskin in week two or whoever for Mike Davis. Um, Okay, then the middle guy is Kareem Hunt, who has some guaranteed role and some good skills. He's a good pass catcher. He's a good runner. Um, his role is limited by Chubb, but he's got some guaranteed opportunity and some skills. Right. And the third kind, and these are all like similar rounds, is uh, Trey Sermon, right? He's got no guaranteed opportunity, but and we don't know exactly about the skills, but he's shown some skills and seems like he has some skills and catch passes. And he's in a situation where the starter, Raheem Mostert, has never had a lot of carries. He's always gotten hurt when he has, when he's even you know approached that. And he's in the best running system in the league. So, you know, they're all three viable, right? I mean, you could say I want to get Mike Davis because I just need the carries. You could say I want to get Kareem Hunt because um, if anything happens to Chubb, he might be a top 10 back. And even if it doesn't, he's guaranteed to get the catches, get production. Um, and then there's Trey Sermon, which is like, yeah, if, if Mostert gets hurt or if he just beats out Mostert and can't win me my league. So I, I usually take the Sermon guy over. And then the next, I would take the Gaskin guy and the third would be the Hunt guy. But I could see a case for all three. And I think those are the three kinds of backs you're going to encounter in that range. Right. And does it matter if it's your RB2 versus your RB3? Um, it might matter, but uh, which type you would take? Yeah. Yes, I mean, like I, I, I if, think you, yeah, I think. But but I'm not drafting like that, so I'm not going to lie. I I will take Sermon over uh, those guys, regardless. I'm not just going to take Kareem Hunt because oh I know he'll get me some points. Um, I'll just wing it. I'll get Naheem Hines later. I'll get you know somebody later that can get me some points for a little cheaper. The reason I ask is the point is like say if you wait on your second running back, you know you need to start somebody there. Yeah. You know, in week one it might be dicey, uh, especially we're drafting here in July and August. You know, it's, you know, like I may just want to say, well, at least I want to know I guy I can start. I think that's a mistake. I think you're right. I think I, I, and I, but I've fallen into that trap because like, oh, I got to check off this box, you know, and I might be passing up a wide receiver or a tight end. That's a difference maker because I want to get that starting second running back. Right. Like if, if Trey Sermon is the guy that he could be and he wins you the league, you're going to be really bummed that you took Mike Davis because you needed safety. Um, op- guaranteed opportunity, and then Mike Davis is bad, loses the job, and you're like, "Oh my god, like what did I do?" Now it could go the other way, right? Where Sermon doesn't make it, but um, you know, are you swinging for a single? Are you swinging for a home run? I mean, and and it's nothing wrong with swinging for a single, right? I mean, a single if Davis just gets 230 carries and 40 catches, that may win you two games that you you wouldn't have won if you had to scramble on the waiver wire for you know for for support, but. Um, my style is to take the sermon usually, and even if I only have one back, that that's how I would do it. I, I'm not going to say that's definitely right, though. All right, let's talk handcuffs. Let's talk top backups. So, you know, because we're trying to get away from the term handcuff, but I, I still say it all the time. But yeah. uh, top You're backups, a horrible to starting person, run. Jeff. Again, 
Uh, top, yeah, so the top backups are your starting running backs. Some people really believe in them. Some people vehemently are against them. Uh, and yeah, you know, obviously format matters. If you're in a best ball league, are you more or less inclined to get it? Are you in a free agent league? Or are you more or less inclined to get it? What, what, what's your thought on this? Um, I don't care that much. I mean, I'll take it if it's there. Um, it's really nice when the backup to your guy that you're taking is the guy you would take, even if you didn't have the guy that was mm -hmm. ahead of him, right? Like, uh, let's say it's like round 12 and I'm like, eh, I don't love Tony Pollard, but still the best choice here, regardless of whether I had Zeke. doesn't matter. I'm taking him. That's great. But I'm not the guy that's going to reach two rounds to get Pollard if, just because I have Zeke. I'm not going to do it. And I'll take someone else's backup. So maybe Zeke stays healthy and the other guy and Dalvin Cook gets hurt and I have Madison. So now I've got two starting running backs. Or, or maybe it goes the other way and Zeke gets hurt and Cook stays healthy and I have zero starting running backs. But right. I'm, will, I'm willing to take that chance um, for the upside. And, and also, um, yeah, I, I just don't really um, – I don't think you need to really be playing defense that much in these things. I mean, look, there's there's 12 teams in your league or 14 and one team wins and 13 are disappointed. Um, you know, I, I, I just think like there's so many ways your season can go wrong. I, I, using a roster spot and a guy that you're hoping never plays um, to me is not a great strategy. Unless, again, that's the guy you would take even if you didn't have the starter. So I think uh, here's one instance where I think it makes more sense uh, is the Scott Fishbowl. 11 man benches, 11 starters. It's going to be really hard to find a good running back on the waiver wire. Uh, there, there is a waiver wire. It exists, but it's going to, you know, they're, they're, it's pretty well picked over, and especially for obvious backups. So in that league, I did get Dalvin Cook. I made a point of getting Madison. I thought it made, made sense there, especially because I think there's a clear and obvious backup for him too. Yeah, I, I'm not big on Madison in part because I think he's substantially worse than Dalvin cook. Like, so Fair. I, my rules for handcuffing used to be, I, I think I wrote about this, that, you know, it, it would have to be that the guys, you know, the obvious backup one, but two, he's got to be like 90% as good as the starter because if he were to get the job, because yeah. if, because if he's just like, whatever, now you've wasted a spot all year and then it's still catastrophic. It's like, I had Mike Davis last year. I didn't have Christian McCaffrey, but I picked up Mike Davis because I lost, I had Saquon. And Mike Davis was great for like four or five weeks. And it was like basically covered for Saquon. And then my team tanked when Mike Davis tanked. Right. But if you have McCaffrey and you backed him up with Davis, you were probably okay for like four or five weeks, but you were not okay. You know, it's, and yeah. that was a good scenario where you had the exact right guy and he was getting all the work. Um, I think the fact that he wasn't nearly as good as McCaffrey showed, you know, because like, who is right. And right. The there's no point. I mean, there's a point, I guess, you know, in getting uh, Chuba Hubbard or something, but like, and, and, you know, I just would get – I think it's way better, especially in the top of the draft, to just get somebody else's backup. And then if McCaffrey gets hurt, I've got Chuba Hubbard that I can use with my other guys. But if I took McCaffrey at 1-1 and I've got Chuba Hubbard now in there, that's going to be a bad 1-1 pick, even if he's completely the guy, even if he turns right. out to be the guy. Right. I, 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 I've used your philosophy before to yeah. get other people's backups. I do like that. I think there are times and places. I think – uh, I think, for instance, the uh, best ball league, I don't think I'd want to have top backups. If, because assuming it's like, say it's like a BB10 and you maybe have 20 draft spots total. Uh, I mean, that's again, do you really want to spend, you, you would rather have, because that means, A, you're going to have you know fewer, fewer running backs from different teams. 
So you can't, you can only, you're trying to have best ball. You're not trying to, you know, so there's going right. to be weeks when they don't do anything. B, bye weeks. You're going to have a big fat zero for both those slots during a bye week, uh, during that bye week. I just, I think it's just less chances. Maybe it's just one week, whatever, and you punt it. Maybe that's the, the idea of that. But I think I'm less inclined in best ball league. I mean, other people might disagree. I'd love to hear from people on that, what their philosophy is. But I think that's where I'd also be less inclined. Now, if it's a best ball and you have 25 man rosters or, you know, like the, I think the NFFC has a draft champions format. I, that might be one. That's a little different. That's not a best ball, but it's still a no pickup league. That that's something where I might be more inclined to go ahead and get the uh, backup there. The only time that it's attractive to me to go out and like pay for it is if you have like a Mostert sermon situation where you yeah. can get. Oh, I don't even overpay for it, but where you get both likely guys. Although I did that in uh, baseball and I got. Uh, I got both Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomerantz. Yes, um, yes. So, uh, I, I had a team like that too. You know, I, so times. you know, it doesn't always work out. But you know, you get the two guys, and assuming they're the they're the likely candidates, and then you're not really it's not really a backup. You're just sort of like hoping one of them wins out completely, and then you've got it. And you could even drop the other guy even if he is the clear backup because if you you know or keep him. But that that to me makes sense. You know, Hunt and Chubb is a good one, but that'll cost you a first and a sixth. So it's really expensive to do Hunt and Chubb. But that's a good one because I think Hunt would be 90% as valuable as Chubb or as valuable if he right. if if Chubb were to get hurt. And you know, they're both usable on certain weeks. So that makes sense. But again, you're you're not using a 12th round pick to get him, you're using a sixth round pick. So the opportunity cost is really huge. So I usually wouldn't do that either. Yeah. Okay. Um we're going to do pass catchers next week. I think that's almost worthy of a full podcast there. And maybe there'll be some breaking news there as well, because uh, it's more than just five or 10 minutes. So we're going to kind of cut it off at this point here. I uh, want to thank WinBet for uh, sponsoring us. Please use winbet.com if you want to gamble on sports in your locality and you're allowed to do so. Uh, we will be back next week. I want to give you the schedule for the rest of the week, because we are now up to five podcasts per week uh, for football. Uh, every Monday, it's going to be Liz and I. Uh, occasionally, maybe Sunday night, but mostly it's going to be Monday, I think. Tuesdays uh, going to be Joe Bartle and uh, Jake Latarski. Uh, during the season, will be waiver wire. Obviously, right now it's not waiver wire, but uh, anyways, uh, Joe, it's Joe and Jake every Tuesday. Wednesdays, it's me and an industry guest. This week, it's going to be Chris Harris of Harris Football. Love talking football with him. Uh, he's going to join me on Wednesday morning. Thursday, as always, it's going to be John and Mario, uh, and then Friday, it's a, our DFS podcast. Uh, Andrew Laird, Scott Jenstad, uh, Scott will be joining closer to the start of the regular season. I think we'll do some evergreen stuff early on as it comes to DFS. Cause obviously you know, DFS preseason, who cares? Uh, at least that's the way I view it as, but, uh, you know, that's going to be our schedule. So thanks for tuning in today. Hopefully you subscribe, rate and view the podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in today. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a great day. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.